0: But we're back in Colossians chapter 3. Um I keep personally get drawn back to chapter 2. I can't seem to get over uh, as I said praying in that the, the fullness of Christ that Paul has taught us about there and how blessed we are to to have that, you know, and and, and what that means, the impact that that has on our lives. And so um Today we're, we're going to pick up uh, in Colossians 3, 5, but I think I want to um, read starting in, in verse 1 again, and we'll read through verse 11. And, and keep in mind that in Paul's writing, theology is always follow, followed by a call to live out what he's taught, right? Shane's been teaching us that in Romans, and we see that in Ephesians in, in other letters that Paul's written, you know he always kind of lays down the you know the the theology part of that and and it and then teaches us how to live that out but isn't that just pure what we would call today pure basic um discipleship right you know you can't really teach somebody how to live it out until you're until you have taught them what it is they're to be living out, right? That's kind of how that works. So um, I was talking to a guy, uh, a, a bigwig this week, and the Lord has allowed me to to um, rub shoulders with some theologians. You know, who would have ever thought? And and I was talking to this guy, and I just said, you know what? I really appreciate about your writing, and I mean, sometimes. Don't don't people like, maybe it's just me, but people like that tend to intimidate me, until you get to know them, and then they're just people, right, that God has gifted with a gift that he gave him, well, I've got mine, he's got his, right, so this guy's very gifted communicator, professor at a seminary, and a, uh, and a prolific author, and just really, really neat, so Jim Berg is who I'm talking about, if y'all have ever read any of his books, and And I said, uh, well, Dr. Berg, you know, the interesting thing that I've noticed about your works on addiction is, and this is the truth, I said, you're the only guy that, and it was weird that I said this, and I realized oh, that probably wasn't very good to say it that way. I said, you're the only guy that agrees with me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I've been saying from the absolute very beginning of my ministry that the answer is, is evangelism and discipleship. And that's how his stuff writes. He I think I shared with some of y'all that um I'm on this panel for his um D men and 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 uh he's got a 92-page syllabus that they asked us to read. And he that's how he is, you know. He doesn't go into all this you know and, and you read a lot of other people on addiction and, and they, you know, they just talk about that all the time. He's, he's evangelism and discipleship. And that's what Paul does, right? This theology followed by a call to live it out. That's evangelism and discipleship because we got to be really careful and, and, and be, of course, we can never tell when somebody's saved and they're not saved. That's not up to us, but you, you can get, gain a little bit of an idea perhaps sometimes if you see fruit in their lives. But but there we got to guard against, and that's what Paul does so beautifully, is we got to guard against discipling before we've evangelized. Otherwise, we're producing what? Pharisees, right? You know, you're, 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 we've made an assumption that they uh, know the Lord, and so we're just carrying them on down that path. And we've really got to guard against that, especially in our day and age today, living in the Southeast as we are where everybody's saved, right? I mean, when you think about that, you know, and, and um, you know, we talked about David Kemp a minute ago. I remember one thing he told me. This was probably 10 years ago. He said, you know, the more I study this, it seems like the narrower the gate really is, you know. And I don't say that as a scare tactic or anything like that. I say that as a challenge for us to get out and do some evangelism to people that perhaps are... Um, thinking they're right with the Lord and they're not. So Paul does that. So we'll read uh, 1 through 11 here, chapter 3, Colossians. If then, and remember last week I said that really, uh, probably better translated since. So if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you, also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Okay, here we go. We're getting into the meat of it now. Got all that theology. You're in Christ now. Put to death what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now, you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So here we have it, right? That the challenge from Paul—you know—he's laid out the theology, and we're getting ready to get into it now. And so starting in verse 5, he says, put to death. And and he uses um, this word, I I realized that in my notes, as I was reviewing them, that I really hammer this a lot. And uh, so I apologize for that up front, but it's a real problem, right? So I think it needs to be gone through in great detail and hammered a lot. So Put to death, as Paul uses it, means a discard of the evil practices. Get rid of them, right? Get them out of your life. And he could have easy, just as easily said, control your your sexual impulses. But that's not what he said, right? Uh, Instead, he uses shocking, radical language. Kill your body parts when it comes to sexual immorality and greed. John Owen, the great Puritan, he put it like this, be killing sin or it will be killing you. That's a great quote, isn't it? The verb, it's very strong and it it suggests that we're not simply to suppress or control evil acts and attitudes. We are to wipe them out. Completely exterminate them. Completely exterminate the old way of life. Utterly slay them is another great term for that, right? And all of those really express great force, don't they? You can't exterminate something. You can't slay it. You can't wipe it out without using great force. And and the verb tense there makes it clear that this action is to be taken uh, decisively with a sense of urgency. In other words, what? Don't wait. Do it now. Why is that so important? What do you think? Because you may, I mean, if you if you wait, then you may never do it. When you put off stuff, you have a tendency to be softer the next time. You get. Okay, good. Yeah, harder and harder. Yeah, yeah, and even start to maybe even justify it a little bit, right? You know, but no, this he he's wanting it done real quick, right? And and the meaning and the force of this. Verb. The tense of it suggests vigorous, painful act of personal determination. He's using radical terminology. You know, he's he's telling us get a hold of your sinful nature and um, wrestle with it, nail it to the cross. Nothing short of a violent death will do. Is what he's basically saying. And guess what? I mean, you know, and I know that very often this old nature squirms off of the cross, it resurrects itself again, and what? we got to kill it again. You know, it's not a one-time deal, is it? I mean, have you all ever experienced a one-time deal? Some sins, perhaps, but he's talking specifically here about sexual sins. They aren't one-time deals. You have to continually do this. Radical terminology in, in the context of talking about this sin of of uh, mental lust. Jesus talked about it in that way when he equated mental lust with adultery. I'll read for you, Matthew five twenty nine says, If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off, throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So, you know, the question that's always asked when you talk about these passages, did they mean literally? Well, of course not, right? Because cutting off body parts doesn't solve the problem. we still got eyes, and, and, and physical dismemberment can't change your heart. So you pluck your eyes out, your heart's wicked, you've seen it, you've thought about it, it's implanted in your heart, it's there. So it, he's not talking about literal... Um, You know, you could uh, cut your hands off and pluck your eyes out, but as long as your brain is still working, you still have a problem with lust, right? I read um, uh, centuries ago in England, if a pickpocket was caught and convicted, his right hand was cut off. If the same guy is caught again, guess what? They cut off his left hand and they they have documented in in English history in London that uh, one pickpocket lost both his ha- both his hands and he continued his occupation stealing with his teeth, you know, and they got caught doing that so i don 't know if they didn 't say if they pulled his teeth out or not, but <laughs> But you get the point. Literal amputation is not going to fix the problem, right? Because it doesn't change the heart. So, what Paul and Jesus want us to understand is that we got to get radical in deal- dealing with our sin, right? Jesus taught that all sin begins in the thought level in Mark chapter 7, right? You and I do nothing without thinking about it first. We don't just inadvertently sin. You know, I mean, we might do something. Inadvertently, that's sinful and realize it right, you know, out of a, what we might call a dumb or stupid mistake, but then the spirit. But, but when you're talking about these kinds of sins, you know, nobody just um, <clears throat> inadvertently becomes sexual, immoral, impure, or has evil, evil desires and passions and covetousness. Those are well thought out sins, right? Nobody ever cheated on their spouse without first thinking about it. We need, we need to judge it when the temptation pops into our minds. Kill it right then, then it won't go any further. Now, a lot of y'all that have been around me for a long time, i got a phrase for that. Does anybody know what it is? I bet John Michael does. What is it? Some of y'all are a little too young. You'll know it. He'll know it as soon as I say it. There, what? Nip it in the bud. I say you got a Barney Fife it right? Nip it right when it starts. That's the way to get rid of it. Deal with it now. Now guess what? You might take the pruning shears out and nip that bud and it falls to the ground but the plant, the evil of sin in our flesh is so strong that that bud pops right back up and it might be right there again, right? But uh, we need to do it right away. Tearing out our eyes, cutting off our hands. Jesus meant What he meant was to take radical action. Jay Adams, um, the you know the the, uh, great biblical counselor author, he calls this radical amputation. Right, get rid of the things in your life that are causing you to stumble like that. Um, You know, one of the things. um, What do you think probably is one of the biggest stumbling blocks for people in talking about sexual sins? One of the biggest. Pornography, so that would mean, what, how, what would radical amputation look like for that? Get rid of your smartphone. Get, uh, put sure. Put it on your smartphone and protect it. Okay, put a protection on there. Uh, you say no? You just got to choose to do right. Ask the Lord to help you. At the beginning, when you first think about wanting, I mean, it's a choice. Sure. It's a choice. Yeah, I, I think you can go both ways there. I mean, it's definitely what you're saying is correct, but I don't think it's necessarily wrong to have something on your on your device to you know. Um, it's not sinful. It it could be a deterrent, but granted, what should be the ultimate deterrent? The Holy Spirit, right? So um, probably, I mean, I have covenant eyes on mine. Um, I put it on there. For a uh, because I was counseling with a guy that was struggling with pornography and he told me that I I can't remember exactly. Um, he, oh, it's just so hard to get it on there. I can't figure it out and and uh, I forget what else he was saying like that. It was this. Uh, yeah, I mean he had a whole list of excuses. So I pulled my phone out, did the covenant. I just think, boom, there it is. What are you talking about? You know, that wasn't hard at all. And, uh, oh, well, they want you to, you got to log into this, you got to put this code in every time you want to. No, you don't. You know, it takes the place of uh, the browser. And now it's the browser. And so I've I've kept it. It's been a couple months. So every Friday, Kit gets a, uh, she gets a grade on me. You know, Tim did well. And it says, give him a high five. (laughs) (laughs) But... You know, that one's big, but there, there's, a, there's a more, perhaps today, 10 years ago, wasn't as big as the smartphone, computer, iPad thing, but the the TV, just the basic television, right? The guy that led me to Christ, uh, David Simmons, he, we used to party with him in high school, and 25 years later, he led me to the Lord. And he told me, I remember the first week he was discipling my wife and I, He said, you know, and you really ought to consider that one-eyed devil you got over there. And I said, what? (laughs) And he said, the TV. And I'm not saying get rid of your TVs. However, I've, I've been with people before where a provocative show will come on the TV and they'll do something like bow their head and pray and ask God to help them not to sin. That's not radical amputation, right? Pick up the remote control and change the channel. That's more of, or throw the TV out, but um, your wife might get mad then. But, you know, we got to be honest. It's real easy to play games in this area, right? We can look real godly outwardly. I can walk in here every Sunday morning and put on the appearance that, man, I got it together. All the while, I can be entertaining lustful thoughts. And guess what? None of y'all know, Right? But that's like tolerating cracks beneath the dam. And you've heard of those stories when the dam breaks. And when the dam breaks, what happens? Everything below it is annihilated because the force of that water just wipes it out. That's how our sin is. I mean, in a marriage when the husband has been exposed to this, it's like the releasing of, of water. You know, it just destroys the marriage. And, you know, honestly, in Scripture, too, it says the Lord will judge our thoughts. You guys don't know Him. You can judge me all day long with the sins of my life that you see, but you don't know my thoughts. The fact that God does, that bothers me deeply. I don't know if it bothers y'all, but it bothers me deeply because I can't get away from those, right? But remember that nobody ever falls into the sin of sexual immorality without thinking about it beforehand. Radical... Action, yes sir. Uh, just a, of, a lot of men in here probably traveling professional.
1: And you know one decision uh, that I made before I get to my motel room. Yeah, I, I asked the Lord to uh, set a guard over my heart and a watch over my eyes and help me to discipline myself as a guidance before I ever put the key in the door, go ahead. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, good. Yeah, because now your your um, your focus is on your commitment to the Lord rather than yeah, that's good. That's good. So Paul tells us here, you know, that he he doesn't say this, let go and let God deliver you, right? He took action, right? You gotta take action. And um, you know, he doesn't even say <clears throat> to pray for deliverance from the sin. I saw a video this week um, on an addiction issue of a, a kid grew up in the church and claims and could be a Christian, I don't know, I don't know him, but you know, professing, and, and he got into opiate addiction, and he, he, um, he was, his mom found his journal. He's in the hospital in a respirator, and his mom found his journal where he was asking God to deliver him from that sin. Now that's not a bad prayer on the surface there, right? Because that could be just a we could that could be a confession, right? But there was no repentance there because he continued in that. So we we can't that that's fighting let me say it this way. That's shooting one bullet, right? And the enemy's not going to die with one bullet, right? We nobody in the military walks out of their barracks with their clip with one round in it. You know, I don't know what it's like today, but in my day, we used to um, take one banana clip. They held twenty bullets, and then we would take black electrical tape and wrap another one going the other way under it, so you could release that one and flop that one back in. There. It was a lot quicker than reaching in and getting another one. You know, you can't shoot one bullet at this enemy and expect it to go away, right? Paul says to put it to death. And matter of fact, it's a command directed for every Christian, and it's based on that truth uh, of verses 1 through 4 that we looked at last week. Since you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. If your mind is seeking the things that are above, you're not going to be down here doing this other stuff, right? Um, Because of who we are in Christ, we are to take action. Now, Here's another rub, I know for none of y'all, but you may talk to somebody that this is a bad rub. You and I have to take responsibility and be actively obedient in sexual purity. Are you all right with that? A lot of people aren't. A lot of people say, no, in Christ we don't have to take responsibility. You know well, then the question then arises, well, you know, what do you do with the verse where Paul says, "Work out your salvation with fear and trembling." right? Or he says in uh, Titus 2:11, "For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce, there's a responsibility, ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. There's responsibility. Some people think for us to be responsible and living godly lives is opposing God's grace, and it's not, right? It's, it, it's not because His grace instructs us to deny things in our lives. That's what He tells us to do, so we take responsibility. We're not talking about working for our salvation. We're not talking about um, obedience for acceptance. You know, i talked with somebody this week that, uh, fell into some sin, and they thought, oh, you know, it's done, you know. And matter of fact, they went so far as to say, maybe I have uh, committed the unpardonable sin. You know, I've been at this for so long. Maybe, maybe that's what it was, and and I'm just done, you know. And you know, I this was all through text. But you know, so you know, I wrote back, you know, and just tried to encourage him and and say that you know, the unpardonable sin is you know attributing a work of God to Satan. You know, that, there's so many misunderstandings about that text of Scripture. You know, we got to take it all in context, right? And that's when people start thinking that they're not doing that. So, because this person was was equating their obedience to their salvation. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about out of our love for what Christ has done for us, we have a desire to follow what Paul is teaching us, which is really, as we said last week, what God is teaching us to put these things out of our lives because we love him so much because we've done what verse 2 has said and we're setting our things on things that are above, right? You see the difference between that? Um, one of my favorite stories, the great godly man, author, speaker, Jerry Bridges, tells of an illustration where he had a wonderful quiet time, and he he um, gets up, is ready to go to work, and his wife does something that, that's the wrong way to say that, his, well, his wife did something, let's leave it at that, and he didn't like it, and he fires off at her. Of course, his firing off at her, he realizes it wasn't because of what his wife was done. He realizes it was the sin in his own heart. And he repents and asks her to forgive him uh, for being as wicked as he was in that moment. And off he goes to work. Later that day, the Lord provides him the opportunity to share the gospel. And the thought comes into his mind, I can't do that. I'm unworthy of that because of how I treated her this morning. God is not operating in mine and yours lives based on our obedience to him. We're totally accepted by God by for, by His grace, right? It, our obedience has nothing... To, that's not what I'm talking about when I'm talking about getting radical and putting these things out of our lives. The reason we're wanting to be radical and put these things out of our lives is because of the pure love that we have for God for what He's done for us. And, you know, when you really grasp that, you know, that really sets you free, doesn't it? That I don't have to work for this. I can... Worship him and love him out of my heart because I know what he's done for me. And, you know, when I first started understanding the doctrines of grace, if you will, this that kind of thought really came big to me because I had been taught a little differently early on. You know, and I was obeying before, not out of a scaredy-cat fear of God, but just out of because I got to participate, Right. I had to work part of this into it. You know, look what I did. I walked to that aisle. I prayed that prayer. That's why I'm saved. But when I finally, I'll never forget when I finally got this. I was reading a book by a guy named A.W. Pink. And I had read five books between the time I was born and the time I was 38 years old when I was saved and And I could you know, and I could name a few of them. I read a Janice Joplin biography It shows you where I was at right and I read a. I uh, i think catch twenty two was one of them a hunt for red October, The Hobbit and I can't remember the fifth one, but after I was saved, God put an insatiable desire to read in my heart and so I'm reading this a w pink book and I, I'm not sure who gave it to me, and I, I'll never forget when I read his explanation of Ephesians two eight. You're saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. And as Pink was unpacking that, he was saying that the faith is even a gift from God, right? So how did I come to believe, right? God did that. Whoa, that I mean, that changed my thinking. Um, I, Kit and the kids were down in the living room watching TV and, and I remember I came running down the stairs. I had my finger on the line in the pink book and I said, look at what this guy is saying here. And we just, we couldn't believe it. We realized what God had done was taken us and saved us. You know, in spite of ourselves, you could almost really say, right? And, and that ignited in me a desire to want to do, as Paul is telling us in verse 2, to set my, our minds on the things that are above, I, and to put to death this ugliness that's in my life when it springs up. Kill it, right? Well, to dive into these words a little bit, the first one, sexual immorality, which, of course, is where we get the English word pornography, and that, that means every kind of immoral sexual relationship. Um, this was an interesting thing. Um, that I came across in a commentary. Chastity was one of the completely new virtues with Christianity. You know, Christianity was, it was unheard of until Christianity brought it into the world. So Paul's call was radical to the pagan culture, right? When he started talking like this, well, guess what? It is today as well. I was counseling with a guy within the last year or so and. and he was talking about, you know, getting in a relationship with a girl and, and, um, and living together and, and I started telling him my views on that and he, he said, you're just a moral fuddy-duddy, aren't you? And I said, what do you mean by that? And, and you know what he told me? He said he viewed marriage the same way he views buying a new car you got to take it for a test drive first to be sure it's the one you want. This guy said that to me. Can you believe that? You know, this guy says, I mean, he professes Christ. And he said that to me. I couldn't believe it, right? But um, I sometimes wish in counseling I need to hang a mirror behind the person so I could see what my face looks like sometimes. <laughs> Are you kidding me? But, you know, the, the so, you know, The sexual immorality, that's any kind of immoral sexual relationship. So the second element, Paul, of sensuality, he gives us here is impurity. This means moral um, uncleanliness. And this is a little broader, a little more subtle than physical immorality because now this is where it's embracing our imaginations, our thoughts, our speech, right? Uh, Our filthy minds, if you will. And the third element Paul gives us there is passion. You know, this is a shameful emotion which leads to sexual excesses. And Paul actually uses that same word in uh, 1 Thessalonians to describe the passionate lust of the Gentiles who do not know God. You know, So if this is the passionate lust of Gentiles that don't know God, you and I as believers need to slay those things, right? We need to put them away. And he uses that again same word in Romans 1.26 is the dishonorable passions of homosexuality. Then the fourth element that he talks about here is evil desires. And this is the wicked, self-serving, um, voracious lust. You know, that's quite a deadly quartet, is it not? You know, evil desire, passion, impurity, sexual immorality. It's a deadly quartet that's out to slay us, so we got to be slaying it instead. Paul said it must be slain outright, executed, put to death. You know, and I I can't really think of any other array of sins more prominent in our society today than those, right? Just waking up and going to work. Now, um, I either used to walk next door to go to work, so maybe not for me, but I go to the gym, you know, but just waking up, going to work, puts us in a, in a sea of sensuality, doesn't it? I mean, ride right down the road, look at the billboards that are out there. Um, evening watching television, same thing, right? Uh, magazine ads for certain brands of, of clothing. Or how about this one? How about the perfume ads on nightly TV? I mean, are those erotic or what? I mean, where does that come from? Now, listen, listen to this. The January 1984 issue of, I can't believe I'm going to say this, Psychology Today, right? A magazine not known for promoting biblical concern, <laughs> stated that a pervasive culture desensitization has taken place through films which feature sexual violence and suggest that such films be packaged with warning labels as cigarettes are. Psychology Today said that. Did you catch the date? that I gave of that article, 1984, 33 years ago, a secular magazine saw the problem, right? So what makes the situation even worse is our, the, the amazing human capacity for self-deception, self-delusion in respect to sensuality, right? So I don't have that problem, really. You know, I'm sure like me, you're shocked when you hear the news of Christians who talked, you know, very sensitively about this, about theology and the serious issues and then they're caught in an adulterous relationship. I've known Christian workers, I'm sure you have, who were fundamentalists at work, you know, and then mouthing all the slogans of of the Christian faith at work and then they go home, wife and kids go to bed and they spend hours looking at a screen, right? You know, and this one, last year, last year, Cherokee County, 2016, Cherokee County, if not the largest, one of the largest, one of the top two child pornography case happened right here in Cherokee County. I know the guy that was involved, and he was a counselor at a sex addiction counseling ministry the largest, if not the, one of the top two child pornography cases in the entire state's history right here in Cherokee County with a Christian worker in sex addiction ministry. What does that look like for our... What what do you think people think when they read that, right? Talk about being a horrible witness for the faith, you know. um, But, you know, that's not uncommon to see... um, you know, like if you found out I was shooting heroin, you know, that's kind of what I study these days, you know, that's, it's, it's weird how that infiltrates people's lives of th- that being their work, so pray for me that I don't get messed up in that, um, you know, because I mean really, you know, every one of us sitting here could be that guy, we really could, we are just, we're just inches away from the most heinous thing you could ever think of, we really are. Every one of us, right? Um, regardless of, of the delusion of mankind, though, God's word still speaks, and he says, put it to death, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. Um, killing, of course, is going to mean uh, blood and tears and a lot of hard work, Right? Uh, commentator Alexander McLaren said this about this. Listen to this. This is really good. He says it is far easier to cut off the hand, which after all is not me, than to sacrifice passions and, dire, and desires, which, though they may be my worst self, nonetheless are myself. Right? Isn't that good? So the metaphor teaches that we must execute, whatever the cost. Matter of fact, Proverbs six twenty-seven. I love this. Just in case you think you can do it for a little while, right? Any of these sexual sins, or really any sin, just in case, Proverbs six twenty seven, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Ain't gonna happen, is it? You know? Can't happen. I mean, you can't play with it, you know. That's why moms and dads teach their little kids don't play with fire. You know, little Johnny's playing with matches. How many homes have caught on fire with that? You can't do that. You know, and many, many believers today are heaping fire onto themselves and, you know, get scarred from that, right? Now, keep in mind here that I am absolutely not endorsing any type of legalism. Paul has already told us in chapter 2 that that kind of stuff doesn't work, right? It won't control our flesh. Legalism will not control your flesh. But God's Word speaks to us today that if we start killing these things on a regular basis in our lives, then we're not going to um, move forward with those. So the next thing um, this passage tells us here is uh, he he calls, he says that um, uh, covetousness, which is idolatry, right? He he denotes uh, not merely desire to possess more than one has, but really to want... um, More than what you have. That's really covetousness. And he calls that idolatry, right? And why do you think, this was really perplexing to me. Why would Paul mention covetousness as idolatry at the end of a list of sexual sins? You ever think about that? I mean, that's a bizarre jump. He just did the France thing that I was talking about, jumping from the... Donkey to the cat, or whatever it was, right? Yeah. But, he, but cat to the donkey. But he really didn't, right? It, b- because it's it's another form of the same e- evil desire, but now it's focused on material things. You know, when sensuality loses its hold, guess what? Materialism takes its place, and I think that's why. If you look, survey people, mankind, many middle-aged men who were once devoted to sensuality are now equally given to materialism. Right Now, what do we mean? You ever think, what is a middle-aged man? What is that? 65 and above. 65 and above? Amen, brother. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I mean, it's probably what? 35, right? Yeah, I mean, we talk about you know everybody said, uses that word uh, midlife crisis, you know, when somebody in their fifties buys a motorcycle or something. Well, you know, man, at fifties halfway, I don't know though. I don't know if I want to go to a hundred. Uh, I would run out of things to do by then. But materialism takes place of uh, sensuality in many many lives, right? And and these sins they they have the same source. Right. Greed is really the lowest form of idolatry when you think about nothing can be lower than putting our trust in material possessions, material things, making that our God. So, you know, we talked about idolatry before, but the bottom line is whatever we put our trust in, that's what we're worshiping. And materialism is the true religion of thousands and thousands of Christians today right and there's churches that are that's what they teach right i remember what i read last week about psalm 23 you know the 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 lord is my banker you know and instead of the, my shepherd and, and we got to really guard against this that's why paul put this at the end um so in other words i think he's uh, maybe this is what john calvin was drawing from when he said our hearts are little idol factories. You know, as soon as you get a grip on one and get it crushed and, and out of your life, guess what? Your heart's already produced another one. It never stops, right? And, and I think in our country, this sense of covetousness is even more dangerous than sensuality, perhaps, because it has so many respectable forms, respectable forms, right? Serious business, because both of these sins... What he says here, they provoke the wrath of God. That's how the ESV reads it. I don't know if um, others say that as well. Verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Right? His message is clear. Since we've died and we've been buried and resurrected and ascended with Christ, since we've made full, been made full of his fullness, there are some things that we're to put off. Sensuality and materialism. Right? Now, not only are we to put these things off, but he continues. Now, he got rid of the those. Now we've got these evil attitudes of speech, uh, or attitudes and speech. Look at verses 8 and 9. But now you must put them all away. Just in case you thought it was over with uh, the covetousness and the sensuality, he hits us with, but now you must put them all away, anger. Wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. The anger described here is, is growing inner anger. That's within you. Wrath is the anger that's boiling over. You see that in a quick temper. Malice speaks of viciousness of mind. It, it's, the, it's that malignant attitude which plans evil and rejoices when misery fall, falls on another person that they don't like, right? These evil attitudes got to be put away. If they're not, they lead into that next word, slander. That's hurtful speech, which defames somebody's character. So if, you're, if you've got anger, that inner anger comes over into the wrath boiling out of you, malice, the viciousness of mind, you know, I, I'm glad it's kind of the, like Haman's joy in building the gallows for Mordecai, right? You know, I'm going to do this and I'm going to get you with that. And that then goes into slander. Now I'm going to talk bad about you and defame your character. And if you don't check those four, you end up with obscene talk, which is foul, obscene, abusive speech. Um, and those are in believers just like they're in unbelievers and we're to put those off as well. Right, So looking at these kinds of sins in the lives of believers should cause us to be thankful for God's grace in our lives. But he, he, look what he continues with in verse 9, the first part. Do not lie to one another. Right, Lying is a great sin against God, against the church, and against the love of God. Um, I mean, think of poor old Ananias and Sapphira. Right, God struck them down for lying. All he wanted was the truth. He didn't want their money, you know. They could have just said, no, we're giving you a dime and we're keeping a million dollars. Okay. Just don't lie about it, right? And uh, he continues, uh, Paul does there, uh, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So we put off the evil practices of our former life because when we come to Christ... We've been baptized into his body, the second Corinthians 5:17. Therefore if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. We're to be putting off that old part of us that creeps back up, nailing it to the cross again and again and again. So all believers have a new self, right? No question, right? We have new spiritual sensitivities and abilities that that wonderfully, Display a new life of Christ, or even a new poss- new possibilities in this life of Christ. I mean, did you ever, you know, when you were first saved, what what was the first thing you started noticing? What do you think? You started
1: running to what you used to hate and what you used
0: to run to. All right, good. And what caused that? I mean, did you ever kind of almost even look behind you and wonder? What is going on? You know, I I mean, really, mine was so drastic that it was like um, the force. (laughs) You know, I mean, something was moving me. You know, it's like, what is going on? You know, yeah, I think uh, change your want tos, right? I used to want to get high. You know, it's not like I I did that because I liked that. I enjoyed that. That's what I wanted to do. Now, all of a sudden, I wanted to do something other than that. Where did that come from? I didn't stir that up, right? It, it came from God. Did anybody else have anything like that? I to get, we got rid of a lot of our old albums. and got rid of the Sports
1: Illustrated, uh, Swimsuit
0: Edition, and stuff like that. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> I know one guy, I know one guy that uh, said... <laughs> I know one guy that I had talked to years ago about this kind of thing, and he said they got rid of the national pornographic magazines. Yeah, it's talking about National Geographic, but you know there's, you know that's we'll we'll go back to chapter two on that, or or back to our conscience lesson that we had on that, right? But but you know, yes, sir. I, personally, you know, I I, I, I had a desire to be around other believers. All right.
1: Even though my daddy was a pastor, uh, <coughs> I had a hunger for God's word. Uh, where I had Bibles that had been given to me by my parents that I, I never read. Uh, I wanted to be in church. Where I, the only time soon I go to church is when my folks invite us over for lunch. I, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, you know, the Christian music where before. Yeah. So the, But the word yeah. was the glue that held it all
0: together. Yeah. And isn't that amazing? That's not something we all stirred up. It happened, right? It happened. That's an amazing thing. The other thing that's, you know, with what John's saying there, it was an amazing thing to me is that the age barrier went away. You know, I was 38 when I was saved. I would have no more hung out with an old person than the man on the moon when I was doing my partying, you know? Or now, you know, if I wasn't saved now, I, why would I hang out with an 18 or a 19-year-old? You know, that's all gone. You know, we're all the same. You know, someday, we're going to, all of us here that are believers, someday we're all going to be there talking, right? Won't that be cool? Yeah, you remember that Sunday over there? <laughs> I don't know what it all looked like, but it's neat to think about, right? So so he tells us, you know, listen to this in... in, in um, that this knowledge that we now have that's what we're talking about this knowledge of God working in our lives leads to progressively conforming us into the image of our creator day after day and that's why it's that way because God's that way that's why we're being transformed like that 2 Corinthians 4:16 says therefore we do not lose heart though outwardly we are wasting away yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day So the more we put off the old nature, the greater freedom we have for the renewal of our new self, according to the image of God. So um, look at verse 11 there, the last one in that section. It says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. So basically, if we make a practice of putting to death these things, laying aside the evil in our lives, will experience the astounding removal of the barriers, and that's what we were just saying, of, of everything that there is. The, the new self lived out brings destruction. This one just kills me to watch TV and, and see what's going on in our country with the racial barriers today. This will slay racial barriers, right? Because it, it, it will destroy racial barriers between Greek or Jew it destroys religious barriers, circumcised and uncircumcised. It destroys cultural barriers, barbarian, Scythian. And it destroys social barriers, slave or free. You know, I just wish that... that. I guess it really wouldn't make any difference the more I think about it, but what it, if we could just get a big... Public platform and just say you you you've got the social barrier thing all wrong, we are one race, right. I used to know this black guy was a friend of mine if he got cut, you know, and he'd say, man, it was pretty bad, it busted it down to the white mate you know we're uh, you know we're we're all one race, we all come from the same parents you know there there isn't any Ken Ham in his uh he's got a neat video on one race you know and for the white folks he takes a white piece of paper says okay i'm white really you know uh, doesn't look very white does it and for black people well that's black i've never seen a person that color right we're one race and you know that would uh, that would help a lot wouldn't it if we could get that platform so Maybe if y'all go raise a couple million bucks and you can get us a 30 second ad at the Super Bowl, we could come out with that. So, <laughs> anyway, uh, any final comments? Uh, um, if not, we'll be dismissed. Um, yes, sir.
1: I, I just think Proverbs it says that he who is slack in time of distress will find little strength to do. Uh, And there's no short. Yeah, and and you quoted Paul that said, "Work out your salvation." That it's the word; it all starts with the word. Yeah, and, and it's we got to be in the word, or
0: uh, we're not going to be able to stand yeah. yeah, that's good. All right. Well, thanks for your time.